0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, worship team. That was great. I love singing about Jesus, singing to him, lifting up his name. Um, Kids, you're dismissed. Enjoy Sunday school. Um, If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, Glad that you uh, chose to spend your morning with us. And uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Cassidy Hastings, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the honor and privilege of sharing out of the word this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of Ephesians, so you can go ahead and start flipping there. And I uh, just wanted to remind everyone that, um, that we do a Q&A podcast. So if you have questions about the sermon, um, even during the sermon, you can email those to iron at sierrabible.org. In our app, we actually have a place where you can take sermon notes. Uh, So if you scroll down a couple of uh, cards on on there, on the home screen, you can actually take some fill-in-the-blank sermon notes as you go, and from that, at the very top of that, you can actually send that email. Uh, So I encourage you to do that. Uh, Today, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, so go ahead and turn to Ephesians 3. Seven through thirteen Pastor Carl told me that uh, this is probably his favorite passage in the entire book of ephesians, and so um, and it holds a special place in his heart, and so I appreciate him entrusting that to me. He had a, a week of of a little getaway with his family for spring break, and um, so uh, anyway, I'm excited. There's a lot of good stuff in these verses, so I'm going to try to unpack it um, the best I can because there's some mind-blowing truths in there. So if you're able, uh, please stand as we read Ephesians 3, verses 7 through 13. Paul says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that the songs that we just sang were We're just a a way to lift you up and just to fix our minds on you. And as we approach your word this morning, I pray that we would just fix our minds on you, that your Holy Spirit would be working in our minds and hearts. And whatever stuff we have coming in, whether it was a good week or a bad week, that that all of that would just kind of be laid aside for a little bit so that we can focus on what your word says and what that means for us and how we can live in response to that, God. Uh, We just give this service to you and pray that you are glorified through it all. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are some events in history that are so significant that you remember details about where you were, who was around you, what was going on when you heard about them. You know what I'm talking about. Some of these experiences are negative, like the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And yes, we do have people in our church congregation who were alive for that, so that's cool. I mean, not the fact that they're still here, man, starting off on a bad foot already, or the assassination of JFK, or many of us remember where we were, what was going on when we heard about the attack on in New York City on September 11th, 2001. Others that we remember where we were when we heard about these are more positive. Some of us remember where we were on July 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong stepped off of the lunar excursion module, onto the lunar surface. Some of us may remember where we were when we woke up on the morning of November 9th, 1989, and heard all of a sudden East and West Berlin had access to each other out of nowhere. Or, as we talked about last week, maybe you remember where you were for the Lost finale. May 23rd, 2010, Now, your understanding of that last one being positive or negative uh, will probably depend on your perspective, But, but on all of these things, observing these things, these events, was historical. They actually brought people together around TV sets, around homes. They had effects around the entire globe, and we continue to talk about them years later. You can listen to our last podcast to hear how the Lost Series finale still affects some of us. But like a rock dropped into the middle of a pond, certain events in history have ripples that can continue beyond their immediate impact. And the same is true when we look at redemptive history. God's timing to send Jesus and through him to provide a way for the Gentiles To be united with believing Jews was like the biggest rock ever thrown into the cosmic pond. As we saw last week in his timing, he revealed something that had been hidden, a hidden mystery in generations past. This revelation didn't just have effects on a handful of people in the first century. It was a creation-wide, reality-altering event that continues to impact people today in this week's passage, we'll see that the revelation of the gospel ripples through all of creation. Before we dive into today's verses, I think it's helpful to remember where this passage fits into the Ephesian letter as a whole. Ephesians wasn't written by Paul to address any specific heresy or error. Paul wrote Ephesians to remind the church of the glory and the gloriousness of their salvation, and he's been unpacking that as we've looked over the past few weeks through chapters 1, and now we're in chapter 3. And then also how they should live in response to that, and he's going to get into that through chapters 4 through 6. God has made them part of his functioning living body on earth, the church, and the Holy Spirit through Paul is reminding them of what that actually looks like. Over the first few chapters, Paul has been busting at the seams, recalling the amazingness of God's plan to save them and bring them to himself. This not only affects them as individuals, but also as a whole group of people, namely Gentiles who have been brought near because of Christ. They were strangers and aliens, but are now fellow citizens and members of the household of God. Last week, Paul continued to marvel that God has revealed this mystery that was hidden for generations before, that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs and members of the same body because of Jesus. That includes you and me. One commentary says, the mystery is not that the Gentiles would be saved, for the Old Testament gave evidence of that, but rather that believing Jews and Gentiles are joined together It was a revolutionary concept for Jews and for Gentiles alike. And this week, he's going to be talking about how that reality has rippled in and through his own life and beyond. And it starts with his own calling. We see in verses 7 through 9 that the revelation of the gospel shifted Paul's mission. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, for ages in God, who created all things. Paul saying here that the reason that He exists is to preach to the Gentiles and by extension to everyone the unsearchable riches of Christ and to shine a light on the mystery that was planned by God hidden in ages past, but is now made known. This is why he was put on the planet at the exact time and the exact place that God had designed. I think to truly appreciate this, we need to understand and remember what Paul's mission was before Jesus. In Acts 8 and 9, it talks about Paul and what he was doing. And Saul, he was called Saul at the time, approved of his execution, talking about Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. So this is Paul's mission. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way... Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he had a reputation when when God talks to Ananias and says, Hey, go meet this guy. Ananias is like, Hey, I've heard about him. Verse 13, it says, But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. This was Paul's mission before Jesus. But then, but God, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed that. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And later on, it says, this is what God says about what what paul's new mission is going to be but the lord said to him go for he is my chosen instrument of my he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the gentiles and kings and the children of israel for i will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name that day paul was given new orders that he would spend the rest of his life carrying out He would do whatever it took to carry out that mission, including encountering suffering, as we'll see later. Despite his past, God gave Paul a focused life mission. He was to be a dispenser of this message to the Gentiles. He was to help them understand the unsearchable riches of Christ. He had to unpack the unpackable, the unfathomable, He was to be like a flashlight to the Gentiles and by extension to to the whole world, illuminating the mystery that Gentiles are now included in the people of God because of Jesus. I mean, imagine the historical timing of this. God creates the world. Man falls. Man struggles. God gives them the law. And at the perfect time, God sends Jesus. And through him there's now reconciliation with God and reconciliation with one another. He had this plan in mind, and then he reveals this mystery in Christ that previous generations didn't know about, and then he chooses Paul to help the Gentiles understand it. Paul gets to be one of the first to tell the Gentiles that they are now included in this body. When Paul preached men and women came to faith in Jesus and were now incorporated into this body, into the church that he talks about in verse 6. They were now part of this now-revealed mystery. And Paul was fully aware of his less-than-stellar past. That's one of the reasons that he calls himself the very least of all the saints. In the Greek, this is actually, if you, if you like grammar, um, it's actually a comparative with a superlative. Superlative. So, it's the, the less of the least. Like, think about that. The less of the least. That's not really even possible because it's the least, right? But he's saying he's the less of the least or the leaster. <laughs> so, that'll sit well with some of our grammar friends like myself. <laughs> Ugh, leaster. But listen to what he says about himself in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul's saying this to highlight that the star of these verses is not Paul. The star of these verses is God's overflowing grace. This is why he's so humbled and why he marvels at God's plan. His calling was was given by God, by God's grace, and lived out by God's power. None of this was his own doing. It's about God choosing him and giving him grace and Paul dispensing that grace to the Gentiles, including the Ephesian Christians. He couldn't have done this on his own. So what does that mean for us? We're obviously not going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So what application do we take from these verses? It applies to us in that like Paul, our lives should not be the same after we've experienced the gospel. God's overflowing grace should be the star of our own callings as well. No matter your past, the gospel can change your present and your future. We all long for clarity of purpose like this. We spend so much time wondering, what, am, what on earth am I here for? While the specific, specific callings we'll all have will vary as a result, um, as a, sorry, while the specific callings we'll each have as a result of the gospel will vary, there are things that God wants to do in and through each of us that are more dependent on His grace and His power working in and through us than on our own ability. This means that God has things for you and for me to do that we can't see ourselves doing at this moment in time. Because those things that He wants to do in and through us will demonstrate His grace and power working in and through us. That may scare you, but I hope it also excites you. To think that there are things right now that God has for me to do for the sake of the gospel that I can't see myself doing. And God actually wants us to do those. Paul wasn't just shown the gospel so he could keep it to himself. Paul's mission was to share it with the Gentiles. Imagine for a second if Paul thought the gospel was for him to keep to himself. Where would the Ephesian church be? Where would you and I be? Probably not here this morning. But because he relied on God's grace and power, he accomplished his mission. This is actually freeing because the ability for God to use you and to use me rests not in our own ambition, our own qualifications, our own credentials, but it rests on his grace, his gifts, and his calling working in and through us. How has the gospel affected your plans and life mission? What seemingly impossible tasks might God be calling you to accomplish only by his grace and power? Things that you can think about right now, and you're like, yeah, that's not going to be me. But maybe God, through his grace and through his power, wants to do that. This gets even bigger than Paul's personal mission. It ripples the ripples of the gospel to him, and through him to the Gentiles, were to accomplish a cosmic goal, a cosmic purpose. And that is that the unity from the gospel demonstrates God's wisdoms throughout the heavens. The unity from the gospel demonstrates God's wisdom throughout the heavens. Look at what it says in verses 10 through 12. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Paul has this personal mission because of the gospel, and as he carries that out, as he preaches to the Gentiles, the church grows. And as Gentiles are increasingly added to the church, the angelic beings look at that and say, wow, God really knew what he was doing. This is totally mind-blowing to me. Like, as I was prepping for this, I was like, this is nuts when you think about this. So I want us to, I'm going to unpack it this way, break it down like this. The object in these, in these verses, is God's wisdom. This is what it's pointing to. It's pointing to the wisdom of God. I believe that we and all the angelic beings would agree that God is wise. But what Paul is saying here is that God's wisdom is complex and multifaceted. The word manifold has this idea of an embroidered pattern or a variety of colors of flowers. It's like looking closely at a diamond in the light and appreciating all the different cuts and angles angles, and how the light bounces off off of it. That's what all this is pointing to. And how does he do that? Through the church. Specifically, the union between believing Jews and Gentiles. The unity of the church displays the rule of God. God. The coming together of people from all different ethnicities, cultures, economic backgrounds, generations into one community around the rule and the authority of Jesus is a tangible way to show God's wisdom. And who sees that? The angelic beings. This unity is an object lesson for the heavenly beings. Created beings, including angels and Satan and you and me, we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. So God's timing to reveal this through Jesus even astounded the angels. One commentary says, What had been screened from the angelic hierarchy is now to be declared through the body of Christ on earth. It's like saying, oh, that's what you were doing. Having Jews and Gentiles come together? Man, you are amazing. But it's also a reminder to both good and especially evil angelic beings that ultimately, one day, all things will be unified under Christ's lordship. Paul's already hit on this in chapter 1, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The authority the evil powers in the heavens experience in this age will be broken and subject to Christ in the age to come. I like how P.T. O'Brien uh, broke this down. He is actually quoting F.F. Bruce, but is so what he says perhaps FF Bruce suggests as FF Bruce suggests the church appears as god's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future the uniting of jews and gentiles in christ was god's masterpiece of reconciliation and gave promise of a time when not jews and gentiles only but all the mutually hostile elements in creation would be united In the same Christ, the church is not only the pattern, but also the means God is using to show his purposes are moving forward triumphantly to their climax. The church is how he does this. Like, is your mind blown yet? Like, maybe it's just me, but I was just like, what? And it's all because of Jesus This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Some translations say that he's realized or that he's carried out or that he has accomplished. This was God's plan from the beginning, and it's realized in the person of Jesus. He's the central figure. And I love that that, um, Dean, during communion, read Philippians 2 because I was actually going to read Philippians 2. Um, verses 9 through 11, and uh, so thanks for prepping for that, Dean. By the way, we didn't talk about that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth And under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What He had planned all along, He revealed and He now accomplished through Jesus. Jesus is the central figure in this age to come. And He, as the church, He is the central figure in our lives today. And we have boldness and access with confidence. What's crazy is that believing Jews and Gentiles, including you and me, have access and boldness now through our faith in Him. We're active participants in this now. I know sometimes it can be challenging kind of to follow along with uh, verses, especially verses that have so much amazing truth packed into them. So I'm going to give you an illustration to hopefully help you understand what's going on here. But in order to do that, I need to kind of set it up with uh, to tell you about, I, I got to throw, throw in a movie reference. Um, so uh, not too long ago, at the end of 2018, um, there was a movie release called Free Solo. Anybody see it? It was a great, like five of us. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, it's an amazing movie. It's an Oscar-winning document now it's an Oscar-winning documentary that follows Alex Honnold and his attempt to ascend the almost 3000-foot face of El Capitan in Yosemite Valley. And he does this without ropes or safety gear. All he does is he has a chalk bag and his climbing shoes. That's what he does. And if you've ever been to Yosemite and kind of stood at the base of it and seen, it's massive. Like, it's one of the biggest faces on the planet, and uh, it's just nuts. So he chose this route called Free Rider. And so uh, most people, it takes them about five to six days, uh, if they're really good, to kind of to go up. Um, and this movie chronicles his multi-year journey to prepare for this, which, if you don't, if you want, it's not really a spoiler because it was, like, in the news and stuff, and so... Um, But uh, plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. Um, On June 3rd, 2017, he actually accomplished this. He climbed the entire thing without ropes or safety gear or anything in under four hours. Under four hours. It was nuts. Um, You can unplug your ears now. Um, But the reason I bring this up is because Alex is totally dedicated to climbing, Everything he does, he does with climbing in mind. In fact, he lives in a van so that he can travel around and climb in different spots. And he even says in the movie that if he had to choose between climbing and a girlfriend, he said, I will always choose climbing over a lady, at least, you know, so far. (laughs) The center of Alex's universe is climbing. So if this rock, figured a rock would be a good example for a rock climber, right? If this rock represents Alex, okay, and my hand represents climbing, okay, this is what Alex's life is like. Alex, everything he does centers around climbing. He eats it. He breathes it. He drives. He's constantly thinking about it. He's willing to sacrifice for it, even relationships. The center of his life is climbing. Now, for most of us, even those who who like climbing, I would say that it's probably not the center of our universe. But here's the thing. All of us have someone or something around which we orient our lives. All of us have someone or something around which we orient our lives. And one of the reasons there's so many divisions today is that as humans, we orient our lives around so many different centers because sin has caused us to settle for worshiping so much smaller gods. So for some of us, Maybe it's success. Maybe that's what we orient our lives around. These are new socks, so I'm going to try to get the tennis ball in there. You can do it. There we go. So maybe it's success. Maybe that's what we orient our lives around. Or for some, maybe it's acceptance. I'm gonna do everything I can, whatever it takes, whatever clothes it takes, whatever makeup it takes, whatever it takes to say, I'm going to orient my life around that. For others, it could be pleasure, it could be impact or power, or even good things like family. The point is that when we have different centers, We're all over the map. There is no unity. Now, there may be some times, you can see, there's some times where things overlap, right? But there's not unity all the time. But when a diversity of people orient their lives around the same central focus, unity happens. because they're going around the same thing. Their focus is on the same thing. For the church now, Jesus is the person around which we orbit. When people of various sizes, shapes, colors, races, cultures, economic backgrounds, generations orbit around Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there is a unity that is a testimony to the eternal wisdom of God. And one day, all things, including angelic beings, will be focused on Jesus as the center, and by extension, will be united under his lordship. The divisions will be done away with because we'll be looking at the same thing. And we get a picture of that. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with their palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen to what this says. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is what Paul is saying here. This is was God's plan from the beginning. And he's carrying that out through the church. The unity of believing Jews and Gentiles show the heavenly authorities and the world around us God's wisdom. And it's a reminder to the angelic beings that one day all things, including them, will be united under Christ's authority and lordship. Do you realize that you and I are part of this now? We are part of a cosmic testimony to the wisdom of God. We are part of God's ultimate goal in the universe. So my questions for us this morning, what is your central focus? Around whom or what do you orbit? The lesser God's, What lesser gods might we be tempted as individuals and even as a church to worship? Paul's calling was to shine the light of the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles, and the church's purpose is to demonstrate the multifaceted wisdom of God to the angelic realms. What is your response as you ponder this? Is it, meh, it's all right? Or is it, fall on your face in worship? The revelation of the gospel rippled through Paul's life, and it continues to ripple through the cosmos. But Paul could also still feel the ripples right in his jail cell. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Remember, Paul's writing this letter from prison. Because he was living out his calling and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, including in Ephesus, it landed him in prison. There were some in Ephesus that felt bad that Paul was there. I mean, it's hard to see someone you love, someone that you care about, suffering. But Paul says, don't feel sorry for me. My calling may have led me to this jail cell, but it also led you to an understanding of the gospel, and that that is more than worth it. Paul's suffering for the sake of the gospel was part of God's calling on his life. And the suffering Paul endured was for the glory of, of those who responded to the gospel. Some of the ripples we'll experience in this age because of the gospel will not be pleasant. There are some that will be disruptive and painful. But we know that there is a coming age when all things will be united in Jesus. It's like the difference between a snapshot and real life, a photograph. When I take a picture It's a freeze frame moment in time. It's not the whole thing. When I go on vacation and I look at a picture, that's that instant that I have a picture. It's not the whole vacation. It's not my whole life. And sometimes suffering can feel like the snapshot is the whole picture, but it's not. We see more than a snapshot. And that gives us an endurance and a perspective which can in which we can actually encourage those who see and hurt over the suffering that we experience for the gospel. So my questions for us here are what are you willing to sacrifice so that others may know Jesus? What pain are you willing to endure so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can reach the entire world? The revelation of the gospel ripples through all of creation. It rippled through Paul's life and shifted his mission. It continues to ripple through the cosmos via the church as a heavenly testimony to the wisdom of God. And it ripples into the believer's suffering for the gospel. We wouldn't be where we are today without Paul carrying out his mission. And we wouldn't be where we are today without others who God has used to continue those ripples through the centuries. So as we close the services today, I have two final questions for each of us, and I didn't do these as fill in the blanks because I really want us to kind of think about them and, and focus on them. The first one is this, through whom has the gospel rippled to your life? Have you ever thought about the path that the gospel had to take from the apostles to get to you and me? What is the spiritual legacy that has brought you to this point? How many people, even people I don't know, suffered so that I might hear the good news? There are people in each of our pasts who, like Paul, were courageous enough and confident enough in God's grace to share the gospel with someone who shared the gospel with someone who shared the gospel with someone who shared it with you and with me. So I want us to each think of two names, of people who have shared the gospel with you. And I want us to thank God for them and then thank them for sharing with you. And the second question I have, into whose life might the gospel ripple through you? Think about the people all over the world who have never heard the gospel. Maybe they're in another country in an unreached people group. Maybe they live next door. Maybe they're in your own family. There's a very good chance they're going to look very different than you. How might God use you to carry that message and to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us? Same thing. I want us to think of two names. But I want us to pray for them and then to watch for opportunities God brings to show His grace to them through you. Easter Sunday is two weeks from today. Maybe one of the opportunities God will bring your way is to invite them to join you. Most people come to church because of a direct personal invite from somebody they know. Maybe this is how the gospel can ripple into the lives of these two people, and it starts with less than 10 simple words. Want to come to church with me? This is the biggest, the most epic story that we can be a part of, and God has a role for each of us to play in it. But that role has to be performed with His power in us and not from our own strength or wisdom. And my prayer for us is that we would be a people through whom God continues to ripple the gospel to all of creation. Let's pray. God, it's hard not to read this passage and just be in awe and overwhelmed and just fall on your face. God, the fact that you would choose us to to be a part of something like this is a testimony to your grace. It's not anything that we've done. And I pray, God, that as we think about this and as we approach Easter, God, that you would make us increasingly, a people through whom the gospel continues to ripple for generations and generations to come to people right here in our neighborhoods, in Reno and Sparks, and across the world, people who have never even heard of you. And God, as you do that, as you bring more people to yourself, may it continue to astound the angelic beings so that they look at you and give you the glory that is due to your name. We love you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.